the one story that always pops out of my mind is this was many many years ago uh we were on a on a flight uh we were taking off the flight was pretty turbulent um and you know they weren't serving cocktails yet so you know you didn't have that to 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 ease the the anxiety and so uh we we're 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 finally um uh kind of at at a point where we think it's kind of like the turbulence is letting up it gets worse uh and then all of a sudden this noise comes through the you know through the entire um plane that noise was a sound which was a, a minor third and for those of us who geek out on those types of things uh, a minor third to most of, of, of the world means something negative. And so um, that was that moment where I really thought, as simple as that does sound like seem, who chose that? Why did they choose that? And, and why did they choose, like, what, what was the thought process that went into that? Because for people who are nervous, you know, like, uh, w- when you're in those situations, you want to design an experience that's going to be, um, uh, you know, that's going to help communicate what it is that you're, uh, that you want to, to communicate. And so all they were saying was we're at 10,000 feet. But to me, it was like, you know, we had entered the gates of hell. My name is Steve Milton. I am the co-founder of a company called Listen. We describe what we do as uh, sensory experience uh, work. So really what we what we you know set out to do is to help brands, organizations um, uh, identify uh, a sound, a sound identity, how uh, we can help them to bring that to life. And there are a number of ways uh, in which we do that, uh, which... I guess we'll get into. Welcome to the Sonic Truth Podcast. We go through, obviously there's a, there's a process that we go through to help a brand figure out what their sound all up should, you know, should, can be. Um, and, you know, as we all know, music is a very subjective thing. Uh, so our job is to help brands figure out how to create an objective lens through which they can see, or in this case, hear their uh, have their sub- uh, subjective opinions, right? So, so how can you create some objectivity? Um, that's going to be both an art and a science, I think. And so, um, you know, that we treat it accordingly. And, and a lot of the ways to do that are to, um, you know, to take things, personality traits, brand values, these, and we translate those into design drivers, mapping sound to them. So if we want, if, 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 a, if a brand wants to sound empowering, we're going to use both the art and science of what we know about sound. And as a composer, you, you know, you know, in, in, intuitively, but also through the process of seeing what resonates with, with people, um, what, what could, what could express empowering? How, how could we do that? You know, through, I don't know, tension resolution through, through certain things. And so, we start to kind of, you know, our process is about, um, you know, taking that, creating um, a, 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 a an expression uh, sonically um, that will hopefully resonate in that way. Now, in terms of that's brand fit, in terms of um, musical fit for ads and these types of things, then down the funnel, there's, there's different ways um, and uh, kind of guidelines that we can um, issue to help um, composers 
make sure that what they're going to where they their starting point they're not over in left field from where the brand actually wants it to be but they're actually there now it needs to resonate with that audience as well. So I think that there's a there's there's a there's the creative process that a composer will go through. But if they're set up with the right brief that's based on those design drivers, then I think you're you're ten steps ahead in terms of of what is going to be success, and ten steps ahead in terms of you know ridding of that subjectivity and actually getting to more of an objective point of view. So like agreement on the brief and a good brief can really set you up. I think so, but and also agreement on the brief for that tactical thing, but also agreement on the the, the Uber brief, right? Like, mm-hmm. what is the what is what does our brand sound like? Let's define that and let's go through the steps that help us to get there. So one of the kind of endless things that that will will never die um, is is kind of yeah. You know, there's that gut, like when you know. I just know this is right, right? Mm-hmm. Which is how some people just have a good sense of that. Everybody thinks they know. Obviously, there's that gut, and then there's the total other end of the spectrum where you have, you know, I'm going to use data to make decisions, right? And 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 sometimes certain things can be very quantifiable. Like, did more people buy? Did more people do X, Y, Z? Like, can I? And the internet has kind of brought about this world that's very measurable because it's it's a it's a place where people are easily tracked and analyzed because they're interacting with something that's easy to track and analyze. Mm-hmm. Now, audio is not easy to track and analyze, no. right? So I think one of, the, one of the endless debates is like, where is that line between art and science? And I think what's, I always love to ask the question of people who are creative and in that creative world, where is, where is the, in, in your mind today, and, and this may be different, you know, probably was different three months ago and it'll probably be different three months from now. Mm. You know, where is that, when does data... When is the right time for data to come into the process? It can vary, but I think the I'll just focus on one moment where I think it has the most impact and can be the most helpful mm-hmm. is um, when we're getting to the point working with the, obviously there's so many stakeholders. Like we said, we're subject the subjectivity of sound is very difficult. We're we're talking, we're thinking about a number of different things, and we need to arrive at a sound. Sometimes it's, as you guys know, sometimes it's a one, two, three second sound. We need to identify that. That can be very hard. It's very ephemeral. Sound is. It can be very hard for, um, you know, for for uh, CMOs and brand directors to actually, you know, know what the right decision is. And so, um, when you're at the, where I've found that it's most helpful is when you're at the final, you know, kind of winding down in design. You have a couple of ideas of what these are going to be, and then you can put those out to, um, you know, testing, um, and, and you get that back, it can either reinforce or it can, you know, um, help you maybe, maybe we had the wrong idea, but, but it can help you make a decision. And I think that, you know, oftentimes, um, that, that, that moment of decision-making can be very hard. Mm. Um, uh, so, you know, helping to reinforce it through data can, can be helpful. What are the things that are like, if you were starting talking to a brand for the first time, they would focus on? I think that in today's world, and and, and to your point earlier, the, where things are and where they're headed, um, doesn't matter if you're, what sector you're in, uh, from fintech to CPG, doesn't, you know, I think really, truly every brand does need to think about what they, they sound like. And, and it, the... The, the the priority touch points or channels uh, are going to vary uh, mm. depending on not even not just sector but depending on I guess you know the the, the brand itself um, so 
I would say the first step, if you aren't sure, you know, uh, where this is going to go or, 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 you know, or, or, or how far to take it, um, is to do that initial kind of discovery audit phase where you can kind of sit down and say, Number one, what do we sound like currently? Hmm. What does what does my brand sound like currently? Get get a sense of that. Um, you know, number two, um, how how does my sound relate currently to the rest of the landscape? Not only my competitors, but maybe you know other things that we could potentially learn from. And then um, you know, where do we make sound? Uh, getting that back and understanding that will help inform a decision that, that I think sets up the answer to your question. And yeah, that's a great point. And do you, do you find that people don't even think about all the different places they have sound today? I, you know, we, so many times we'll have a brand say, you know, yeah, we have about four or five touch points. And then in the end there's like 45, <laughs> you know what I mean? So that happens a lot. <laughs> I remember when we were working with Tinder, we, um, we were, we, we were, we were really focused on that that hero moment of when you get a match and reinforcing that and, and reinforcing this idea of possibility, which which I I, I think um, really landed well and, and and users do enjoy that. Um, but then it was like, well, well, can we put uh, can we put sound in for swiping? And we thought, I don't know that that could that could really pollute you know really pollute the experience. And in the end, um, you know, we did make some. They put them in in a test batch, and it clearly got very bad feedback. And so we we ended up being able to take it out. But that's also cool because you, you're able to be nimble in those ways. So and you're able to test it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, cool. So give us maybe an example. Actually, that's, that's an example of where sound maybe not be not may not be such a good idea. Like, what are some great? It's always great to hear like the the things that somebody who's immer- immersed in the world thinks are great experiences. So, like, what are a couple examples or that really stand out? to you as like a great um piece of audio creative i mean there's so many right um it's like asking like your favorite song <laughs> uh, yeah it's it's very totally um one of the things i'll start with because obviously we know i know our work well right, right. the, the hololens are you familiar with what that is i know the product yes. yeah okay. so so we created the now, the sounds uh, for that experience it's just like a hat and the only thing that's even more effortless is how i'm automatically signed in with Windows Hello and RS Syndication, the HoloLens 2 is actually signing me in as I put on my device. Now, not only does the HoloLens 2 recognize me, it also recognizes my hands. Look at this, fully articulated hand tracking. And as I move my hands around, the HoloLens 2 is actually calibrating to my unique hand size. And of course, not only does the HoloLens 2 recognize me and my hands, it also recognizes and and I think I'm most proud. Uh, well, I'm very proud of of, of of everything we've done. <laughs> but but there's something that really resonates <laughs> uh, uh, w- with me personally on that one. Um, it's and and it's because it was such a complicated user experience, and you didn't want it to be too sci-fi, and you didn't want it to sound too you know cliche and all of these types of things. And I think in the end, when you're in that experience, the sounds just kind of fade away, and and it's almost like they're very non-intrusive. And, and you kind of have this wonderful experience that helps you navigate through the UX, which I think is a really good thing. So that's probably one of ours. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think. There are so many other examples of, of right. pleasant, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, sonic experiences. Um, and, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, no, that's a cool one. And I think, you know, the HoloLens is, is not, um, it's something new, right? And it's like something that 
uh, has an experience where where you have this blank slate. Um, yeah, where it's like the expectations are are kind of wide open as to what it can sound like. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Th- you know, the, the overall, I would say things are getting better. Like things are sounding better. You know. Good. <laughs> uh, I, I think. You know. And, right. and 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 yeah. You know. Like there used to be this kind of uh, for for better lack of a term like skeuomorphic approach. It's not the perfect term, but it's the only one that I can come up with where you're kind of like replicating or in this case, sampling like real life sounds and putting them in products and things. And unless there's a really good intention behind that, I think it's, it doesn't work. And, and so you start to see the sculpting and the creation of these like new sounds that help kind of form a kind of semiotics of the way that we, you know, around the way we interact with these things. And I think that's, that's pretty great. What are some things that like maybe a, a couple of things that you see are like the common traps that people fall into with, with sound? Yeah, this might not be the most popular thing to sound, say right now because I know a lot of people are, are, are doing this, but just going out, finding an, uh, an artist, I mean a musician, a high profile musician, right. and then just kind of saying, well, that, that's our sound um, or, or we're going to get that person to compose the sound without properly going through the process to get you to a brand sound has a lot of pitfalls, I think, and doesn't actually, you know, always yield the best results. So I think that that's something that people should watch out for. The other thing is like, take chances, you know, like, um, there, there's just have fun with it and people get, th- that doesn't happen enough, I don't think. And, and, mm. and, you know, l- let's see where we can innovate. Let's see where we can push. Um, you know, the, the Tinder example I gave before is a great example. It's like, and then, you know, we can always pull back, uh, but there gets, it always seems like there's a lot of pressure around it, which I understand, but also, you know, people enjoy hearing new types of sounds. And I think we're always interested in, in how can we push, innovate, you know, push this conversation forward, um, rather than kind of defaulting to kind of the same old. Um, and then the last thing I, I noticed that like when we're creating like product sounds, um, there are certain things that, that, that when you go against, um, people notice. So like when you're creating an on or sound, it should go up in pitch. When you're creating an off, it should go down. Now we've tried to push against the grain. We've, you know, and, 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 and people do notice that. So I think, right. you know, there's, there's a balance, right? You know, you, you know what to push against and what things people are going to want and understand and need from a functional point of view. Right, right. I had a pair of headphones. I never knew if they were on or off because they, they both sounded the same. They went neither up nor down. Um, <laughs> but it's funny, you know, just kind of the, the closing point there. You said something a couple of times that, that I think is really a great takeaway from this conversation, um, which is, you know, not being afraid to take chances. And, you know, the one thing that drives, drives me crazy on the data side is when people test 10 things that sound exactly the same. Um, and that's because they're coming from a paradigm where they haven't been able to pull things back or test things or evaluate things. So they don't take any chances because they're so afraid of, of trying new things. Um, and, and when you have a little bit of information or you have the mentality that we're going to try this, then that, that can really open up creativity. So it's that, that, that uh, kind of world where there's this perceived line between information, data, and testing, and creativity, it's, it's really not that. It's not a line. Mm-hmm. They're really connected in the way that, in, that a performer would always change based on their audience, right? Mm-hmm. If, if the crowd's not reacting, you might change the way you're playing. Or if, if you, uh, you know, you're 
going to put out a, a song, you might play it for your friends first. You know, like there's, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's been around for a really long time. It just hasn't been structured That's in true. the way marketing exists. I, I really do think just, just generally we are seeing, as you brought up earlier, so many people are starting to think about this, starting to really approach it with thoughtful, uh, have a very thoughtful approach. And uh, we appreciate that. We respect that. And mm. We're excited about that because that means we get good partners to work with. So um, that's what we're really looking forward to is just, you know, what's the next thing and and and, and what's that going to sound like? Great. Well, thank you for coming today, Steve. And we're excited to see, you know, what's next and, and hear what's next. So thank you again. Thanks. Listening to a podcast production of AW360, the year round content destination from Advertising Week. Visit AW360 at 360.advertisingweek.com and be sure to check out the other AW360 podcasts now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Producers on this podcast are Jack Hirschman and Richard Larson, with music provided by Audio Network. For more information on Advertising Week, the world's largest gathering of advertising, marketing, and technology leaders, now in six markets across the globe, visit www.advertisingweek.com. Advertising Week.